So I'm super excited to welcome you all to the second episode of our bi-weekly Getting It Right, the Ipsos Brand Strategy podcast. And as we said in our previous podcast, our goal is to try to inspire you, our listeners, with some new innovative ideas about brands, about brand strategy, and about brand growth. And we hope that every one of our podcasts will leave you, our listeners, with at least one inspiring idea to act differently when you manage your brands. My name is Dauer Rademaker. I'm a global brand strategist at Ipsos, and I live in Amsterdam. Uh, and with me is my co-host and also global brand strategist at Ipsos, Chris Murphy, from his hometown, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and we together, we'll discuss every two weeks an innovative brand topic with hopefully an inspiring guest on our show. So if, listen, if you're interested in brands and you want to be inspired with the latest brand thinking, make sure to follow us on the Ipsos Customer Perspective podcast series. Hey, uh, hi, Chris. How are you? Hey, Dalla. Doing great, sir. Happy to be here. Very good. All right. So, so Chris, go ahead and uh, and, and let's uh, start to invite an, uh, our, our second uh, guest or our guest on the show. Very good. So, uh, hi, everybody. Um, our guest today is Don Versteg. Uh, Don, how, how did I do on the pronunciation there? Did, that was, was, it a, was a 99% hit. It was, it, was a close, it was a close call, Don, right? Give me a 100% hit. You say it. Dan Versteg. Eh, I was I was in the ballpark, all right? That's really in the ballpark, absolutely. This, this is what happens when uh, people from Nashville, Tennessee, try to uh, properly pronounce European names. You should probably uh, so sing it, is, Chris, from, from Nashville. You should probably sing it. You probably get closer to the right pronunciation. That's right. It would be better. It would be much <laughs> better. We'll try that next time. So, uh, Don is our country manager. Um, for the Netherlands in Ipsos. He's a family man in Hilversum with, uh, where he lives with his wife and his twin boys, age two. So got his hands full at home, got his hands full at work. Um, now, he and Dawa have just written a paper on consumer centricity in a data-driven world. It's called consumer consciousness. And today we're gonna talk about this new data-driven consumer con uh, centricity framework and its impact on brand building. So uh, Don started uh, his role as country manager in the Netherlands in February of 2020. So just in time to steer the company through the pandemic. Um, and he tells me he is the only person in our Amsterdam office today. So Don, what, what a time to start. You, you're doing okay there, man. Uh, yeah, we're, we're making it through the crisis uh, quite well. And uh, the market's also, also picking up again in the Netherlands. So moving into the right directions, we had some huge wins that we could announce last week in what I call fireside chats to the organization in Amsterdam. So people are in a well relatively okay state in the Netherlands. But of course, suffering a lot from the pandemic. But um, as a company, we're making it through. Very good. Um, so yes, Don uh, or, uh, joined us at, at one heck of a time. Um, but we are so happy to have him here because uh, he's had a, a really strong career um, in the kind of overlapping space between brand marketing, data, consultancy. Um, he's uh, worked for supported. Uh, Big blue chip brands like Shell, Heineken, Tensud, Google, uh, Wakupa, and uh, Changemakers. And as we think about modern mm. brand management, we've got a lot of learn, lot to learn here. I think from uh, Dan's very deep data background. I think so too. But before you get into it, Chris, I do need to deviate to one sort of little side topic with Dan because Dan has told me. 
that he recently bought a really cool vintage American school bus, right? And he planned to convert it to a holiday van for the family. Right, Dan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So well, I have to bring this up on this I have to bring this up on this podcast. So what's the first place you're going to take your family to with your bus? <laughs> well, um, you know, it's uh, for, for me, the American school bus, it has the idea uh, that it's that it's great to be curious in life, right? So to explore new things and to do new things in a new way, uh, but also to do it in a cool way. So it's not just the school bus, it's actually also the cool bus. Um, um, so when, when we go traveling, and, and uh, we will do it probably in a, in a couple of weeks and also in the summer, um, I think exploring a little bit of nature and new geographies and culture would be sort of part of uh, what I would like to get my twins acquainted to. And I think one of the very first destinations would be to go to visit the Northern Lights in Scandinavia somewhere um, uh, and to see uh, what this uh, yeah, na natural fauna wow. is all about. That's a serious trip. And have you ever heard about that saying, the American saying, don't let the pigeons drive the bus? <laughs> no, I haven't. What, what, is it? No, what, what happens if I do that? No, it's, it's, a, it's a book. And it's called uh, Don't Let a Pigeon Drive the Bus. And this is about a family that, and the pigeon really wants to drive the bus. And that's not a good idea. Now you have two twin boys. So the, the thing, don't let them drive the bus. So it's also a metaphor in, uh, in raising a family, right? Don't let your kids you know, set the rules. So don't let okay, the pigeons okay. drive the bus. They totally love to drive the bus. So that's going to be hard. <laughs> but let's see uh, if we can manage. Well, Don, congratulations on your, your latest acquisition of, of the cool bus. Uh, you'll get to experience what I did uh, from ages five to 13, riding around on American school buses. Um, so, okay, let's let's get just a, a little more serious here um, and, and and talk a bit about this, uh, this, this piece that you guys have put together. Um, so starting with kind of your perspective on uh, consumer centricity, which you have called consumer consciousness in your paper. So, Dallas, let's start with you. Um, yeah. How did you guys kind of come up with that perspective? Well, it's interesting. It was kind of between uh, Dan and me, right, Dan? So it started when I read a super in uh, interesting book um, on the um, uh, on, on human consciousness from a uh, world-renowned uh, um, uh, neuroscientist called uh, Dr. Tononi. Um, and he was working on a um, on a formula, uh, like a mathematical formula, to determine how conscious a brain is. And there's a few variables in that. In that, and that's a super interesting piece of work, because if you're able to measure uh, if you can measure the consciousness of a brain, you can actually see, for example, uh, in a hospital whether somebody is in a, um, uh, uh, well, you know, dead or in a locked-in syndrome, right? If somebody is, it's, it's a still brain, is a brain still consciousness, there's still a possibility for the patient to wake up. Um, so, and, it, and, and these, when I was going through these three variables in that uh, uh, formula that he created, I thought this is a great metaphor uh, for consumer centricity. So the three uh, uh, variables that he described to uh, to determine whether a brain is consciousness conscious the first one is um, the 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 amount of neurons in a brain and how well these neurons are connected to each other right so you could actually with with kind of you know, these new uh, uh, brain scans you can measure uh, how wild these neurons are connecting to each other so that's the first one 
but it's not alone according to that very uh, to that uh, uh, um, formula to be conscious so the second variable he said you to, to be to be conscious that network also needs to create new information right otherwise the, the these neurons are just firing off randomly but there's not new information happening in the brain so it needs to create new insights new information but also that alone was not enough right if there's no feedback uh, he calls that uh, a zombie network, right? You can you, your brain is working, but it's not learning anything. So the third element is that the there needs to be some kind of feedback to the network. So the brain needs to create new ideas and needs to create uh, feedback either through the eyes or through the ears or through whatever. Right? So I thought that's a great metaphor because the first one, if you translate that to consumer centricity. I, th I was thinking you need to have enough data in your uh, consumer data and the data need to be connected uh, in, in, in some way to each other, right? Secondly, you can have all the data in the world as a company and the data can be super well connected, but if it doesn't give you new interesting insights in consumer behavior, it's not really helping you to become more consumer centric. Right. And then thirdly, I was also thinking like you create new insights, but if your system you know, is not learning from, from those insights, if it's not a learning loop, it's kind of a consumer-centric zombie network, right? You're not, you're not learning, you're not getting a step further. So you need to have some feedback loop in the system as well. So that's, that was a thinking. And then I spoke to you, Dan, about this, right? Uh, and I, I was talking to you about this and I think it clicked something that you were thinking about as well. Yeah, no, this is absolutely, this, this, is, this was, I think, for, from my perspective, uh, a meeting of minds, um, but also coming from a, from a slightly different perspective, right? So for you approach is a lot, so the metaphor is neuroscience, but you, you approach this a lot from uh, consumer insights generation. And I was actually sitting uh, with my experience a little bit on, on another area, which is big data uh, collection, data analytics, uh, all kinds of ways to do predictive modeling, uh, so to 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 see if you can mine from the data typical insights that could help you uh, predict a future outcome and then change uh, that by by an intervention. And I think that what happened was I was speaking in a presentation about this topic, and Dao was sitting in that same presentation and started to send me email messages about I've read this great book uh, with this great story uh, with this great metaphor, and I think we should talk a little bit more about it. And that's how the idea to co write this paper uh, started to, to get about. And if you, if you look from the metaphor and the analogy that I see uh, with some, uh, some work that I have done elsewhere, um, it's more or less the same, right? So if you look at the big data world, um, uh, a lot of emphasis from organizations and a lot of investments from organizations in the past years has been to collect data in any form, if it's structured data, if it's unstructured or semi-structured data, it doesn't matter. If, yeah. If it's written text, if it's voice, if it's video, it doesn't matter. Let's collect all that data and let's then try at some stage to monetize that data by, by mining it for insights. But that's a very scientific approach. It's not it's not a human driven approach. And I think what you see now and uh, more and, uh, than in the past is that we need to understand that big data world from the eyes of a, of a user, of a consumer or a, a patient or a citizen. So really putting the human aspect into that because the computer models and the computer science maybe allows for 50 to 70% of really understanding what is going on and validate, validating the insights that you get from the mining of the data in a scientific approach 
really only gets you so far. So where do you leave the other 30 to 50% of the understanding uh, of, um, uh, of the outcome that you have predicted? Um, and here we see uh, in, in my current role that uh, you can actually combine the world of market research where we have ways to understand the why behind the behavior much better um, uh, than the what that sits inside the big data um, uh, and try to understand uh, the knowledge gap between it and try to yeah. create new insights that build on each other. Mm. Don, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned insights se several times there, and obviously that's at the core of, of, of all of this. But um, you know, I've been at this for about 30 years. It just seems everybody defines the word insights in a different way. So yeah. Dalla, when you think about it, what, what's your definition of the term? What's an insight to you? Oh. <laughs> Well, there's there's a million definitions of insights, right? You Google insights, you get a million definitions. The, 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 the way that I look at an insight is an insight needs to have three things, right? Like most in, things in the world have sort of three things, right? This one, it needs to, uh, for an insight to be a true insight, it needs to have a fundamental truth about people, about consumers, about citizens. It needs to have a truth, right? It also needs to create a fresh perspective on how people view the world, right? Mm -hmm. And thirdly, it needs to motivate you to drive action, right? So if you write up a an insight, you, you know, you need to write it because it's very much into semantics, right? An insight, like it needs to have a, situ a situation, a frustration, and a future desire. That's the way I see it. And, and to give you an example, you know, most insights start with something like I know, right? I know, for example, I need to drink a liter of water a day. I know that, right? My frustration is, but, but I always forget to bring water with me if I go somewhere. Yeah. That's frustration, right? Exactly. So the future desire is, you know, you start the third sentence often with I wish. So I wish there was an easy way to help me consume enough water. That's an insight. So the fundamental truth, yes, I know I need to drink the water, right? The fresh perspective, like, ah, I always forget to bring enough with me. I always forget to drink water. And the motivation that drive action, I wish there was an easy way to help me consume more water, right? So it needs to spark immediately sort of ideas on what can I do to help. So that's an insight. Excellent. Um, so, so yeah, uh, fundamental truths, fresh point of view, motivating action, kind of this, and, and you even used the term show attention um, in your uh, yeah. in your paper, right? Um, which I, I think you. So you the tension. I use the word actually. I use the word frustration of tension in uh, you know similarly, right? So the frustration yes, yes. in this example, like I always forget to bring water with me. So I I know I need it, but there's a problem. So there's a tension in an inside. Without attention, there's nothing to resolve, and therefore, a boring insight. Yep, that's uh, a great way to think about this. So, Dow, what's a uh, outside of your personal life? What what's a great insight that you can think <laughs> outside of outside the water? That totally, yeah, <laughs> that totally changed a brand's fortunes. Yeah, I think that, you know there's there are many examples that you can give, right? I mean, the one thing that is dear to my heart because I personally thought it was a great campaign driven on a cool insight is, uh, is, is, is Nike's, uh, one of their last big, big campaigns. The, the campaign was called Find Your Greatness or Find Your Personal Greatness, mm -hmm. right? Because they used to really focus on top athletes, right? But then they had this insight that, you know what, the big 
group, the, 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 the most of their consumers, they are not top athletes themselves, but they aspire, they strive to be an athlete, right? So they know, most of the people know they will never be a top athlete. So what they're really striving for is to achieve personal greatness. That's right. Right? <laughs> exactly. So, so Nike changed from, this is for top athletes. They said, no, find your personal greatness. And that was a super successful campaign. So I thought that's a really great way of finding a human truth, a tension, right? Because you can see already the way I described it, the tension in it. Like, you know, yes, I want to be an athlete. No, I will never be one. So I'll never be as great as an athlete. But I can still achieve a personal greatness. Yeah. No, that, that's awesome. I, just, I, I can think of a B2B example. Uh, this is some years back, but I remember one of the senior folks in the IBM analytics community sharing with me that they just had a, kind of a, a watershed moment there when they were establishing their consulting business when they, they realized that they uh, were not selling to companies, but they were selling to people. Um, and it completely changed, right? The, the way they went about organizing and directing their, their sales force. Um, and if you think about it, that, that insight has a lot to do with yeah. businesses like ours too, right? But now, yeah, but now bringing these insights back to this data-driven story that we have yeah. is that you can find these really powerful, impactful insights through human intelligence, right? That's like, you know, you... You take a researcher or a consultant and they look at all this data and then this 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 great insight sparks up, right? That's human intelligence, a very powerful way to find insights. But now with all the available data, you can also find these insights through data science and doing some deep data analytics on existing. As long as you have enough data, the data is well connected. You can use AI and other sort of uh, data analytics tools to find these insights, so, so right. That's also how Dan and I were uh, were talking about uh, insights. Not so much what is an insight, but how to find them through data science. Yeah. So yeah, if we if we bring this back then to um, kind of the the subject of consumer centricity and a consumer conscious company. You know, earlier Dow, you, you talked about. Uh, kind of those those three critical elements, right? Availability and connectivity of data, fresh insights, um, activation and feedback loops, right? Correct. Um, so uh, when you think about those those three, you know, kind of fundamental um, or, or critical elements of, of uh, consumer centricity, how can a company start to measure itself on those criteria? You know, to how how well am I stacking up, right, on on those three things? That's a super good question, right, Dan? Because Dan and I actually are working on something uh, ourselves there. So I'll, I'll start, Dan, and then you should sort of take over. Yeah. Uh, because I believe this is actually not so complicated to measure yourself where you stand on this consumer consciousness, right? Because there's really only a few elements that you want to track and measure in your organization so that you compare, you, you can compare yourself to other companies in your category and outside your category. Like one is what data is available in your organization, right? And you can make a whole list of available or, uh, or potentially consumer information and how much of that data is available in your organization right that's just that, that it's just measuring how much of the available data do you have the second part that you should measure is how well is the data connected right? some companies have the consumer research data in big reports in uh, you know lying on different desks 
They have the CRM data on one platform. They have sales data on a completely different platform and other pieces of the organization. So how well is all this data on one platform and well connected? Uh, the th third element is uh, um, uh, how well does your organization uh, create new insights and do you use only human intelligence or do you also use data science and data analytics to create these insights? And the third element is do you actually put the learning from those insights back into your data platform, right? That's easy to message, so it's a yes or no. So by answering a few of those questions, and, and, and that's something that Dan and I are working on uh, uh, as a standard questionnaire that you can easily use to see where you stand, you can start benchmarking yourself on this consumer consciousness to other organizations. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. I think that, that, that you're totally right with that. And uh, I think that there, um, from the, the data perspective, um, uh, because so much investment has been done in, in collecting that data and storing that data somewhere, um, uh, there's also an emphasis of creating a return on investment of that data. Now, what I've seen in companies being less successful or more successful in there is um, uh, that getting the right quality data is an essential part. And what I find very intriguing there is that if you think about how much time is spent on, on science and applying the, the, the insights generation part from the data compared to how much time is normally required to get good quality data in place, there's a there's a big mis misconception I think going on in the world. Um, I think that the misconception is that you know it's more about the 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 the, the techniques to mine that data and uh, and that the time should be spent more there. But my experience actually tells me that 60 to to 70 percent of the time is actually spent on creating good quality data, data that's actually valuable to generate mm -hmm. the insights. Um, and also connecting that data to, to other parts of the organization is not the biggest piece of work, but it's actually getting the good quality data in place. What I find very uh, interesting in comparison with the market research industry, the consumer industry, a, ma a major part of the work that we do and the value that we create is actually collecting the data. So it's not that different from, you know, the, 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 the generating the insights, doing the proper kinds of uh, research on that data uh, compared to what the data analytics and the data science world does. So I think these per, these particular two worlds can shake hands quite easily um, in in joining forces uh, because uh, uh, the, the 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 basic ingredients to get good insights in place sits in getting good data in. And um, and I think it's it's usually misunderstood that uh, that people think you know we have to work 80% on creating the dashboard or creating the uh, analytical uh, framework or creating the predictive model no that's only a mere 30% of the time that is spent usually on on getting the insights in place mm. i was yeah. actually thinking uh, chris sorry to interrupt i was actually thinking that um, uh, dan and i have developed a questionnaire to measure yourself how uh, you know so we have a little questionnaire that we use uh, uh, for companies to measure themselves and benchmark themselves on this uh, consumer consciousness. So if any of our listeners is interested, we are more than happy to share that little questionnaire. If you promise to send us the results back anonymously, that's fine, but we can track you and we can benchmark you against all the other questions that we have. So if you send an email to gettingitright@ipsos.com, then we can share that questionnaire with you as, uh, if you want to uh, uh, calculate your consumer consciousness score. 
Very good. And just Della, um, if you think about some of those those core dimensions uh, that I know you addressed in that questionnaire, um, you know, which tends to be the biggest barrier to achieve, achieving you know, kind of true uh, consumer consciousness uh, at, at a corporation? Is it data availability, connectivity, generating fresh insights, establishing those feedback loops? What's, what's the toughest thing? Yeah, for me, and I'll start down, and then you should, should, should also see what, from your perspective. From my perspective is I see companies that are, are either really good at having a lot of data and creating a platform, right? Or they're really good in creating cool insights, right? Or they're really good in uh, in targeted campaigns and, 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 and learning loops, etc. But I have not seen many companies that are focusing on all these three, like having a holistic approach. Um, so that, to me, is the biggest barrier, is not to focus and become a, um, a, a winner in one area, but becoming good enough in all three areas. So that's one uh, topic. The second, because you asked me to give you one barrier, so I'll give you two. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Two for the price uh, of one, thank you. Exactly. Uh, but the other thing is that you see companies that are either really relying on data analysis and there are other companies that are really relying on human intelligence, right? I think one of the biggest barriers is to do both. Even And the problem is sometimes they, these, these, the, the, the um, skills sit in different or pieces of the organizations. Uh, so... Having these different pieces of organization working together so you can create an, both data science and human intelligence, both working together to find really powerful consumer insights. I think that's the second barrier. Very good. Uh, Don, what do you think of all that? Yeah, I think that I think it's totally right um, that, that these are true barriers. Um, at, at the same time, I think that, you know, the, an interesting outside look on, on the impact of data science in organizations eh, and, and where this has started and where the impact has already been is to look at different functions in organizations, right? So if you, if you think about supply chain, uh, sourcing, yeah. uh, if you think about uh, marketing and promotions, so where, where do you see uh, data science already having its impact? Um, I think marketing and marketing communications especially is, uh, is the last part where uh, of organization where you see processes of insight generation and decision making being automated. And it's an interesting part because we feel that because it's so much at the heart of what we do every day, this is probably the first part that you would think of, of an organization actually investing in to automate this kind of work, right? To yeah. automate the communication flow, et cetera, et cetera. But we're actually very much at the end of uh, the spectrum there. Um, to get that right, you see a lot of platforms that try to uh, help you and enable you as an organization to manage the dialogue with clients. Uh, Salesforce being one of them, for instance, uh, Salesforce has done a lot of uh, acquisitions lately. They acquired Datorama. They've invented something called Einstein, which was also based on an, uh, on an acquisition that they did. Um, and these are actually areas where they're looking for ways to automate decision making using the entire platform, the entire ecosystem that they actually developed. I think that it's a field that sits quite far away from the insights people. The insights people that you know work on um, uh, segmentation-based based frameworks or behavioral science principles to really understand what makes a consumer tick and what makes a, what drives a consumer decision. And it's very difficult, I think, to speak the languages between these different silos of organizations uh, that should be speaking each other's languages. 
So I truly believe that Tao is right when he says it's the integration of all these different players that have to play uh, like an orchestra in the same voice in the same tone to get the insights together, both on the data science part as well as on uh, the human part. And, and to make sure that you do this in an effective and an efficient way, using platforms, et cetera, that are well connected, is uh, is definitely part of the struggle. Very good. Hey, yeah. Don, just picking up on your point about silos, ecosystems, Dallas' point about organizational design. You know, um, when you guys are articulating the success factors for getting consumer uh, consciousness right, um, in the paper, you made a couple of assertions that really grabbed my attention. And one of them was, and I'm quoting you now, um, a consumer-centric data ecosystem should be built and maintained with a small number of external partners. Can you talk about that a little bit? What, where are you coming from on that? Yeah, well, I mean, from, from the data science perspective, um, the skill that you have to have, right, to be able to understand the consumer behavior in, in globalized organizations in any part of the world actually dictates the fact that you cannot do this with many players at the same time because you want to have a standardized approach to the data that you collect. So mm -hmm. as a result of that, there's not so many players that you can reach out to. Um, on, the other, uh, on the other hand, the, the, the spectrum, so the, 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 uh, the ecosystem, uh, that you have to op be able to operate in requires you to do quite a lot of investments to make those connections, whether you're on the data part or whether you're on the consumer insight generation yep. part. So there's not so much space for, for uh, many small players to uh, create all the value that you need to be able to, to drive success. Got it. And then on a, at least thematically related point, Dawa, this might be a good question for you. Um, another one of your success factors, right, for getting this right was, and I, I'm quoting you again, you said uh, insights generation should be under a single command. Uh, can you talk about that a bit? <laughs> no. Yeah, I think Dan already made a few comments, uh, and, and, and I'll go back to that point about what you really do not want is have all these elements of insights generation in different pieces of the organization. Right, we see that too often where you have these uh, sort of market research organization is responsible for, let's say, human intelligence and, and, and finding insights. And then there's a data group, a data science group. They also find uh, yeah. um, uh, super interesting insights that may or may not uh, validate each other, right? And then you have a sales organization or a CRM organization they do their own analysis on their on their data and they find insights. Now, I think there's a, uh, there's a lot of value in an untapped value already existing in an organization. If you have all of that insights generation in their one group uh, or on their one command, and, and, and especially if, you know, our point is, is that insights uh, and activating these insights and this learning loop based on insights is almost the heart of your organization. Yep. So separating that out in three or four different divisions in your organization just doesn't make any sense. And it's not hard to do to bring it together. And Dan and I are working now with a company where we're actually bringing the data science group of one of our clients, the data science group and the marketing research group together. And we already see some really powerful insights without the need for more additional market research. So it's untapping the existing value in an organization. So I think that's just an example of how 
easy it is to create value by creating that under one single command. So that's the reason. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Dal, uh, for for clarifying that. You know, um, earlier in the discussion, you you mentioned that you know uh, most companies struggle to kind of get um, all of these uh, you know kind of feet of the stool <laughs> kind of yeah. properly balanced, right? Uh, and there are a number of barriers that we've talked about along the way. Um, but uh, one of the things that you said in the paper was that when companies do get this right, um, that they are more attuned to consumer needs, they're more agile in responding to change, which of course in the past year has never been more necessary. Uh, can you tell us um, some examples of brands or companies um, that have done a really good job of this, and that yeah. of getting that orchestration right, to use your term from, from a moment ago? Yeah. Time? You know, interestingly, I see exactly, the, you know, as because of this pandemic that we're in, you see the rise of all these e-commerce companies, right? The Amazon, the Zappos, but also uh, the way IKEA has quickly moved to be more of an e-commerce organization, right? And I think that has driven a super fast improvement of some of these companies to become more data-driven, consumer-centric. So. And Amazon has been really powerful in creating these these consumer-centric, uh, uh, insights-driven solutions for people, right? Uh, Adidas, uh, uh, they have found that, for example, if you want, you can personalize your shoes, but not on 10 or 20 variables, right? You can change, you could choose sort of 50 colors and put your name on the site, right? Super simple, just a few things, because that's all what people want. You can do that online and you get those shoes, right? Super powerful. You know, the way IKEA is is, is helping you uh, create uh, uh, kitchens, right? With their uh, 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 online platform and giving you what Wabi Parker, right? The new retail for, for, for glasses, right? That changed the business model for, for glasses in a very indiv individual driven consumer centric approach. I think now there are an enormous amount. There are there are there are quite some big companies that are getting it right, but as you see that investors are talking about the K-shaped uh, return of the economy, right? Some companies are really getting it right and are doing really well, but that's the top of the K. The bottom of yep. the K, there are equally uh, you know a, a lot of companies that are not getting it right. Yep. So and I and think. That's yeah. That's this. So now is the point for all of the companies to really understand how this work. What are the the elements? How to have this holistic consumer centricity so we can all move to the upper part of the K shape. And now I'm I'm going to stay on the positive side of the K. Uh, so Don, any other examples that you can think of from from your view? Well, I mean. Uh, we're close to making this like a fireworks show almost. Uh, there, there is some companies doing this really right. And um, I think one of them we're actually working in, an, in a close engagement with, and they're truly happy about the collaboration that we have with them. Uh, and we also get to sort of guinea pig a little bit uh, uh, inside their huge data kitchen. So this is a company called Vodafone Ziggo. They're um, a huge uh, telco operator in the Netherlands. And we're working on, on, on the case with them. Uh, and But they're also showing us how to get this completely right. So this is truly the way to do it, right? Um, they mine their existing customer base con consistently, uh, uh, very consciously for understanding, you know, what is the expected behavior from this group. Uh, and then they also use the insight generation part to identify new interventions based on the expectation of what might happen in that group. 
and they consistently try to understand what is the knowledge gap that we have and how can we close the knowledge gap by bringing in new levels of expertise if it's on the data science part or if it's, or if it's on the consumer insights part and i really like this approach i think it's uh, exemplary mm. of what uh, big companies should and could be doing yeah i love this idea right. of bringing strategy insight and innovation all under one tent that's that's brilliant um and how long have they been doing that huh? You know? Yeah, this is so. This started like so. This is the the, the Vodafone group has actually a, a really big belief that this is the future that they should be heading towards, and they started on this journey. I think roughly three and a half years ago by yeah. simply investing in the setup of these teams. They first focused for two years on getting the data right, and um, uh, so a lot of data engineering was part of that. Uh, and then now they're moving more closely all these different expertises uh, closer to each other uh, around the table, uh, and I think that's been a journey since the past year and a half. Uh, and based on this, they introduced predictive models in, in September last year. They updated their the churn model um, uh, as part of their approach. So it's it's been an, a really big, long journey for them. Very good. Yeah. Very That's good. super interesting, uh, Dan. So, so Chris, uh, I think uh, now we, we, we're, we're, we're closing to the, uh, <laughs> to the end of our half-hour podcast, uh, Chris. But this is a topic that is near and dear to all of our hearts. So we could continue probably for another half hour, if not longer. But uh, all cool things must come to an end at some point. Uh, I'm sorry, Dan. Uh, well, uh, not the school bus, not the cool bus then. <laughs> no, you do, exactly. And remember about don't let the, your pigeons drive the bus down. I won't. Thanks for all your right. advice, Dan. Thanks, all Chris, right, for well, your listen, time. Uh, uh, Dan, uh, uh, I was, um, thank you very much. This was really interesting, a super inspiring uh, discussion on this sort of new framework for a data-driven consumer consciousness and the impact on brands. And, uh, and Chris, this was our second episode of the Ipsos Brand Strategy Podcast, right? Two episodes in the can, sir. All right. In the can. Now, we hope that you, our listeners, enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, if you want to learn more about the topic, if you want to read the paper, or if you want to get the questionnaire, or if any other questions or builds, please send an email to getting it right at ipsos.com and i hope that you will now also listen to our next episode and i promise to you that we'll do our best to interview another inspiring guest as inspiring as dan uh, on another innovative brand topic so a big thank you from all of us to your listeners and we hope to uh, uh, to have you back on our podcast in two weeks time thank you thanks so much dan bye dan thanks bye, -bye.